It was about 25 years ago, a crisp October night. Our daughters were toddlers, little, and we had had an early dinner, like you do usually when you have toddlers, probably macaroni and cheese out of a box, like you do when you have toddlers. We had cleared the dishes off, and we were playing the game uh, Candyland around our kitchen table when the phone rang. And I answered it, and it was an elder from the church who said, Hi, I was just calling to check and make sure that the dinner at your house tonight is at 7 o'clock. <laughs> the dinner at my house tonight. Right, 7 o'clock. We're looking forward to it. See you then. Oh, my gosh. We had t totally blanked. We had invited three elders and their spouses over for dinner and blanked on it. We did not have enough food in our refrigerator. We did not have enough time to clean. Apparently, we did not have enough brains to remember that we were hosting an event. Now, it wasn't exactly the feeding of the 5,000, but God did take our not enough and made it more than enough for the evening. How many of you have been in a situation where you it might not have been the feeding of the 5,000, but you have felt like you didn't have enough. You weren't prepared. You weren't enough. It just you, it wasn't going to add up. If you are a kid here today, I'm thinking you can relate to this, right? You've probably had times when you felt like you weren't tall enough or you weren't big enough. You weren't important enough to make a difference in a situation. If you are a young single, you may relate to this. You may be just getting established in your career. You may be sharing a, an apartment with a roommate and feel like you just don't have it enough together to do this adulting stuff. You don't have enough resources. I know that if you are a parent of any age child, you can relate to this because what parent ever feels like they have enough wisdom or enough patience to deal with their kids? All of us, may have feelings like this. And our culture reinforces this, this not enough kind of feeling. We watch the voice, and it's like, if you don't have enough talent, nobody's going to turn your, their chair around. We watch Survivor, and if you don't have enough cunning or guile, you're going to be voted off the island. You may feel like your gifts aren't enough, they don't count, or your resources don't add up to enough. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Jesus does a very different kind of math. You count because Jesus counts you. You're enough because Jesus is enough, and you have enough because Jesus has enough. Now, nobody in our family does math, but I like stuff to add up. This is how the equation would have looked that night about 25 years ago. Two toddlers plus two forgetful parents plus six elders showing up minus food for dinner equals chaos and desperation, plus Jesus, equals enough and a lot of laughter. Now, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is so familiar, but Jesus' math is crazy beyond just the multiplication of food. Jesus is the all-powerful miracle maker who can always do the math by himself, but chooses to include us in the equation. Isn't that amazing? 
So let's look at the context of this passage. Look at this picture of the Sea of Galilee. This looks pretty calm, right? If it looked like this, and the, the, Jesus and the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee at the time, but the situation would be very much in contrast to this peaceful look here. Um, we know that Jesus has sent the disciples out on their own for the first time to teach and preach and do some healing, and they've come back, and it may be possibly that they've come back because they just heard about the beheading of John the Baptist. So they've returned, they're reporting in, um, they may have been excited about what they have been doing out in the countryside, they may have been, had some questions for Jesus, they may have been sad, discouraged, confused about John the Baptist, we know that it's super busy and super crowded. There are a lot of people around. Mark 6, 30 and 31 says this. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, the disciples haven't even had a chance to catch their breath when they're deluged with um, people again, crowds. Look at this map. We know that Jesus and the disciples took off in a boat, boat up to Bethsaida. That would be about four miles if you were going by boat. It was about eight miles for the guys that were running along the shore. But somehow they got there ahead of Jesus and the disciples. It may be that the sea was becalmed. It may be that they had a headwind against them. But somehow they got there ahead of them. Here's, the, here's Jesus trying to have this quiet time with the disciples, and all these people are interrupting. Now, parents with toddlers, I know you can relate because you've tried to go to the bathroom and have been interrupted. But I believe that we all, from time to time, feel like we can't escape all the people who want something from us. Watch this 34-second clip and see if you can relate. Dad's out shoveling the driveway. Mom desperately needed a treat to get through the rest of the night. So I'm hiding in the pantry. Eating a treat. Is that wrong? They don't ever go away. They want everything you have. She's always there. Hi. 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 <laughs> so Jesus, like a mom trying to get a little bit of time alone, tries to get away, but the people chase him. How does he respond? He welcomes them. He, he does try to put some boundaries in place, but he also recognizes the value of holy interruptions. And it says there were 5,000 men, but that would be an underestimate because they only counted the men. That wouldn't have included the children and the women, so there might have been a crowd between 10 and 15,000. Here's the great thing. Jesus counts everyone. Jesus counts the discounted. I love the way John Ortberg says it. Everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything can happen. I think this was Jesus' kind of modus operandi. Now, most of the people in this story would be the not counted. First of all, the disciples. You say, well, they were men, so they would be technically counted in the 5,000. But also, the Gospel of John says they were ordinary and unschooled guys. 
they wouldn't have counted in the culture. They would have been the left outs, the overlooked, the misfits. So the disciples, not counted by the culture. Then there's a little boy who obviously was not counted. He was a kid, but he was counted by Jesus. He ends up being the hero who shows up with what he has. Then there's somebody who's not even mentioned in the story. The little boy's mom. Have you ever thought about him? The little boy's mom who packed his lunch and sent him on. We don't know if she got to come with him or if she's at home working. Maybe she's heard about Jesus, and she, but she can't go, and she can't wait for her little boy to get back and tell her all about Jesus. She wouldn't have been counted. She was a woman. And then there are the crowds, probably filled with a lot of people who were sick or handicapped or needy in some way. All of the people around Jesus were hungry for something that Jesus had to offer. So what was it about Jesus that drew people to him? What was it that made them feel welcome and loved and safe? I, I think of Jesus kind of like my sister-in-law, Betsy. My sister-in-law, Betsy, anytime you would come into her presence, into her home, it's like, oh, there you are. We were just waiting for you. That's what she projects. And I believe, not that Jesus said that, but that's the, the attitude that Jesus projects. So I think that we need to ask ourselves, does anyone and everyone who comes into our home, into our presence, do they feel welcome? Do gays and singles, do the handicapped, racial minorities, or Trump supporters or Hillary supporters, do they all feel welcome? We may think, oh yeah, I'm open to everyone, and give ourselves a pass. But if we really think about our day-to-day -day activities, are we turning towards those who are different than us or make us uncomfortable, or are we turning away from them? I love the idea that everyone wears an invisible sign around them that says, please love me. I think it's true. People are not our project. They're not on our to-do this list. They are on our to-love list. There's a quote by Jack Jezreel that I like. He says, we are either a people who love, embrace, and enter into a caring posture with our family, friends, neighbors, strangers, and even enemies, real or imagined, or we will spend our lives mercilessly trying to define who is lovable and who is not, who is worthy and who is not, who deserves my attention and who does not. Inevitably, we will end up loving people who look like us, think like us, and pledge allegiance to the same flag, and we'll exclude the rest. The second thing I see in this is that Jesus loves as is, not only if. Jesus loves as is, not only if we have it all together, not only if we don't have a drinking problem, not only if we know the right words or look the right way or have the right education. He loves us as is. I am honestly really sad as I reflect on this because I think that the person who probably felt the least loved as is in my home was my mother-in-law. She had some different, some habits and some lifestyle choices that were different than ours and I found it very difficult to love her as is, and that makes me really sad. She died years ago, but I, my hope and prayer is that if she were here today, I would do a better job of loving her as is. Now, loving and welcoming people can be as simple as eye contact. 
looking people in the eye. Henry Cloud says, people who are not open to meeting others usually avoid eye contact. Open people make a lot of eye contact. So it may be eye contact that will make a difference as we go through our days, but it also may be a change in our physical environment or an invitation. Let me share a couple of examples with you. There's a woman named Christian Sh Kristen Schell who has started a movement called the Turquoise Table. She painted a picnic table, bright turquoise, plopped it in her front yard, and just started inviting her family and friends and neighbors to hang out there. She'd put out ice cream, she would just have coffee there, and people just started being drawn to it like a magnet. It was in her front yard, it was very visible. So it started this movement, and people have been painting turquoise picnic tables and putting them in their front yard across the nation. I think there are only three states now that don't have somebody, at least, with this. And they have started this, and it has, they have the hashtag, uh, front yard people. Another friend of mine has started something called Front Porch Fridays. I love this. She just put an invitation out on Facebook and invited her neighbors. She said, you know what? We're going to be out on our front porch on these Fridays throughout the summer from 4 to 6. We'll have some drinks and appetizers. Just stop by if you want. It's simple. It's casual. It doesn't mean you have to, like, buy a ton of stuff or clean your house or anything. Now, the feeding of the 5,000, we focus on the five loaves and the two fish miracle, but I'm wondering what might be the miracle that we miss. Could our miracle just be that someone who has felt left out feels welcomed in and experiences the love of Jesus? So Jesus loves us as is, not only if. And the third thing I see is that Jesus takes our not enough and makes it more than enough. Not enough plus Jesus equals more than enough plus leftovers. Because Jesus' math operates out of a mindset of abundance and not scarcity. Verse 34 says, When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place. Okay, Jesus would realize that. I mean, he created the universe. And then they say, um, and it's already late. Again, pretty obvious, right? He knows. And then what do they say? They say to Jesus, send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Have you ever told Jesus what to do? That's what the disciples do. They say, hey, Jesus, go do this. Have you ever prayed and said, hey, Jesus, here's my solution. Are you on it? Right? Okay, here's my plan, God. I like control. We don't mind God fixing our problems, but we really don't want the discomfort of actually having to be involved. I think that Jesus isn't as interested in my solutions to the problems as he is interested in my participation in his solution. So he answers the disciples and says, you give them something to eat. Now, it's not like he couldn't do this without them, right? He's the master of math. He could do it without them. But he chooses to use them. And it's kind of like a, a parent, if you've had a, a little kid, you, you're um, sweeping the kitchen and your toddler wants to help, you let them help. If you're mowing the lawn, you have a toddler that wants to pretend they're mowing the lawn, you let them help. God doesn't need our help, but he allows us to be part of these God-sized activities. Isn't that great? 
It says this. He sa- they said to him, wouldn't it take more than half a year's wages to feed all these people? Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? This exposes their still limited view of Jesus' power, right? But he takes the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. He gives thanks. He breaks it. He gives it to everybody. They're satisfied and there are leftovers. Now, he takes the not enough. And so I want you to think about your not enough. What is your not enough? If we had this sentence, I don't have enough blank, or I'm not blank enough, how would you fill that in? I'm not smart enough. I'm not brave enough for the situation I face. I don't have enough space in my house. I don't have enough money. I'm not outgoing enough. I don't have enough time. I talked to a friend between the services, and um, her daughter is making what she feels is a very, very bad life choice. And she feels that she does not have enough influence. But I think the question beyond that for her is, does God have enough power to redeem any situation? For me, when I think of this, I'm not enough. I think I'm not good enough. Now that sounds really broad, but what it feels like is I don't have enough value to add to the different situations that I'm in. It's one thing to give God our strengths, but it's another to give God our weaknesses. If you bring your not enough and put it in the hands of Jesus, he'll do the miracle. Paul explains why God delights to use us in this way. And we've talked a lot about this here at CPC. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-suppressing power is from God and not from us. Some of you are familiar with Elizabeth Elliot. She and her husband were missionaries in South America. And uh, her husband was killed by Indians there. And afterwards, she wrote this. She wrote, If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. So, in a time of grief, the recognition that this is material for sacrifice has been a very great strength for me. Realizing that nothing I have, nothing I am, will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as the little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fishes. So even with limited resources in the middle of nowhere, there's so much that there are leftovers. And I love it that Jesus tells the disciples to pick up the scraps, pick up the leftovers. And the reason I think he does that is that he wants them to remember the leftovers. The leftovers are the evidence of his power that they can take into tomorrow, into the darkness of a future that they are not sure of. Many years ago, I was 24 years old, and I was traveling to Europe to study for the summer. And because of some huge thunderstorms, I was, my flight was delayed in New York. I landed in Frankfurt, Germany about 4 a.m. Now, I uh, knew two people in Germany, a youth pastor and his wife. There, everything was closed. I didn't have money. Um, I had missed my connections, but I knew this youth pastor and his wife, so I called them collect at four in the morning, and they lived about an hour and a half away from Frankfurt, 
But Gary, my youth pastor friend, says, just stay put, I'm coming to get you. So he gets in, drives down to get me, takes me back to their tiny apartment. Tiny apartment. They had no room, they had no money, they were a poor pastoral couple. They already had a guest staying with them, sleeping on their couch. But they invited me in and put me up for the next night, and the next morning, Gary is in the kitchen, and his wife has made homemade bread, and he's making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and he's packing me a lunch, and he gives me this lunch in a paper bag and takes me to the train station, puts me on the train to my next destination, and I thought, this is, I am his holy interruption, and he is the little boy with the five loaves and two fish, just showing up with what he had, which was not enough. He could have made all kinds of excuses, but he didn't. He showed up. We often give God excuses that we can't be a part of the miracle. Even the miracle of welcoming others who may feel like they don't count. But this story from Scripture reminds us that you count and I count and our five loaves and two fish count. I'd invite you to just reflect on that while we play this short video. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something?
So it's my prayer that we will walk out into the week with our five loaves and two fish. And with Jesus, he will make it more than enough. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could possibly ask or imagine, to him be all glory now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace.